0: Amen. Well, Harvest, as you're grabbing your seat, please grab your Bible and turn to Joshua chapter 1. We are going there for real today. Yeah. Joshua chapter 1. Joshua, it is a book on warrior land stuff. And uh, we have been preparing for the last couple Sundays to go there. Uh, two Sundays ago, we talked about the big story uh, that there's all, God has always been about a people, always a place, always to the world. God has always been about a place unto himself, or a people unto himself, and a people that has a place. And, and it's a sending-based place, as we talked about, and always to the world. We see that all the way from Genesis through Revelation now, that was two Sundays ago. Then last Sunday, we talked about the people surrounding Joshua, especially Joshua himself. And uh, God is about building warriors unto himself and not wimps unto himself. The Lord is about building warriors unto himself. And, and we begin today in the very first verse. Let's start there, Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... The Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Let's pause there. Uh, verse 1 sets the stage on what's happening and what's taking place. And, and the first thing we read here is that Moses is with the Lord. Moses has died. Now, let, let me just remind us of Moses. Moses was the guy that some 120 years earlier was put in a basket by his mom. And uh, his mom saw him under the sovereign hand of God float down the river away from her. Ladies and men, can you imagine that? with your little kid unbelievable reality situation that's happening there he was but by god's sovereign hand he's raised in the most powerful wealthy home in all the land pharaoh's home Uh, he later comes to understand his background and after having stood for what was right he's banished into the desert Uh, he's picked up by a nomad family and uh, ultimately becomes a total unknown the man knows what it's like to be on the front center stage of the world and he knows what it's like to be decades as just another dude off in the hicks, completely unknown. Uh, he then, uh, at the age of 80, meets God in a bush. <laughs> so it's kind of funny in some ways, but that's the reality. He meets God in the burning bush. God gives him this, uh, this call to lead 2 million plus people out of Egypt. The, to take them to a place that he has for them, so he goes to Pharaoh, the superpower of the day, this guy goes to Pharaoh and with his brother Aaron, and really Aaron was the one initially who said, "'Let my people go. Uh, God delivers er, er, through uh, Moses, God delivers the ten plagues he 's like the tool that God is using. Through all this with the ten plagues He then leads the people out of Egypt They cross the Red Sea uh, Eventually they meet up with God At Mount Sinai and he's the man That's going up on the mountain And meeting face to face with God He delivers God's decrees Down to the people And to what it is and, and how to work And that includes a whole social And governing structure And a spiritual structure He's the guy who God directs and To have the people build the tabernacle the moving temple and and to build the ark of the covenant and, and he puts up for decades with the incessant complaining of these two million people uh, and by the way he's also not a perfect leader and uh, yet in deuteronomy 34 right before joshua chapter 1 god essentially calls him like no other man um moses is now passing the baton he's dead and imagine you're joshua and you've got to step into this guy's shoes that truly has got to be like one of the worst positions to take over at that point in time because you've got a guy who's just been stunning and unbelievable for decades and you're taking in his shoes likely here in chapter one joshua is very possibly in his 70s Uh, In Joshua chapter 14, we find out that he's 85 years old. By the way, has gray hairs. That kind of takes a different perspective on what retirement can look like. Uh, Here he is in his 70s, leading leading a couple million people. And though in Deuteronomy 34, God says that Joshua is full of the spirit of wisdom, it must have been daunting to take over these people. And I've heard the statement said before, and new leaders may need instruction, but they especially need encouragement. When new leaders step into a role, and especially like this, yeah, they may need instruction, and that's oftentimes where people go just trying to pile on some more instruction. But I'm going to tell you, what they really need is they need encouragement. And Joshua's stepping into that, and I love this. Look at verse 1. The Lord shows up and has something to say. I just, either you better be scared to death, Joshua, or this is going to be really good. Uh, This is so cool that God comes along and right away he gives Joshua his presence and his voice. Uh, uh, God knows what's going on. He understands the transitions and the reality is Moses is gone and God has something to say. And he does have some words of instruction. But all of the words of instruction are undergirded by these words of encouragement to Joshua. And so we're going to take a look at these. Let me pray as we dig in. God, I would just ask that we would savor these passages, these verses, these one through nine verses here. God, would you just show us yourself more? Just show us yourself. We want to be awed by you, taught by you, instructed by you, encouraged by you. We just need to be more about you, God. So would you show yourself here? We're here. Lord, speak. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, verses 2 through 9 is... All God speaking this morning. That's all the farther we're going today is down to verse 9. And all of this is just God speaking. It's a single unit of speech to God from Joshua. Joshua is not interrupting. They're not dialoguing back and forth. This is all about God speaking to Joshua. And here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to go about this a little bit differently. Normally, I just start and we start reading and talking it through as we go. But I'm going to go out of this, and I'm going to have pull out some key parts of this. We're actually not going to read through this together until almost the end of our time in the passage. I want to pull out some things. I'm going to encourage you to mark and write in your Bible here. So then, when we come to the end and we read through this, we've already got all this background going as we read what God has to say. So it's a little bit differently different today. And and here's the the thing there are two foundational undergirding promises that God gives in this passage they're undergirding foundational promises and then there are two imperatives two calls to action that God gives that are built on those undergirding promises okay so let's start with the promises first and it's this number one is I have given you I have given you look at the end at verse two um, end of verse 2. It says, I am giving them. I want to encourage you, underline that. Underline that. Don't, don't circle it. Underline it, because this is an undergirding portion of this passage here. So underline, I am giving to them in verse 2. Then look at verse 3. Uh, God also says, I have given you. Underline that. Verse 3, I have given you or whatever your translation has that are related to that. Then look at verse 4. You'll see there it says, shall be your territory. Underline that, because it's really the same principle, the same concept that's coming out. So verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, three times essentially God makes this declaration to Joshua that I have given to you. Now, understand... The setting is Joshua and the Israelites are not in the promised land. I would put it like this. They're like standing on the fence or or on, you know, looking across the fence. They're standing here. The fence is there and they're on the east side of the Jordan looking west and they see the promised land and they aren't in it yet. We'll do maps another week in in a bit here, but uh, they're looking across the fence and God is saying, hey, I've given that to you. I don't know if you've bought a home or bought some property or especially your first home. I remember when our first home that we bought, before we could move into it, there were just times we'd keep driving by it and just going like, that's going to be our home. This is sweet. It's awesome. And there's just a thing there. And that's that's the situation that they have there looking out. Now, oh, everything that they see, they In their minds, they don't own any of it. They've lived in none of it. Yet God says, the place that you see, I have given you. Remember, these people have been wandering in the desert for 40 years outside of this area. And God is saying, I've given it to you. Now, look at verse 3 in the area you've underlined that says, I have given you. This is really important. Hebrew class. This is a perfect tense verse. It's a, or, or, uh, a verb. It's perfect tense. Perfect tense means that it's an action that has already taken place but has ongoing implications. Uh, and a form, another form of a verb means that things happen in the past and it just happened. The perfect tense has the understanding that something's already happened. It's not happening right now. It's not happening in the future. It's already happened and has ongoing implications to it. The death of Christ would be a perfect tense reality. The death took place in the past. The resurrection from the dead took place in the past, but as ongoing, perfect, tense reality. So what am I saying with this? When God says, I have given you, God is saying, it's already done. It's saying for our world, it's saying, listen, my friend, understand, there's not gonna be a closing. It's already yours. And in fact, your name is, is already on the deed. And uh, by the way, is God owns the deed. And he said, your, essentially your name is on it. So as God looks at this, he's already determined that this band of 2 million plus people that have been wandering for 40 years, that's already theirs. Done deal. It's theirs. Now imagine Joshua, that's our place, our name's on the deed. Sweet! I'm loving this as he's looking at it. I just said, what a blessing. And how encouraging. How encouraging for this new leader. I just want to step out of this just for a second and ask this question in light of this promise. When you think of the Lord, right now in your life, do you see him as a gifter? Does God as a giver flood your mind? Or do you have the perception that God is just absent, that God is distant, he's withholding, that actually God is quite stingy? That's not happening here. I just want to say, redeemed person in Christ, God is a gifter. In fact, I I want for you, don't turn here, I want to read this to you and I want for you just to hear it. One of my favorite passages, if you've been here, you know this. Ephesians chapter 2, let me read verses 1 through 10. Listen to what God does. First, it starts with the bad news about you and I. Verse 1, and you were dead. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work within the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Here's the sad fact, the bad news fact. We all start there. Sinners separated from God. I don't like that. I don't like talking about that. I prefer to talk about happy bunny stuff. But if you, eat, if you and we don't understand verses three 1 through 3, the rest of what I'm about to read doesn't make much big deal. But in light of verses 1 through 3, now listen to verse 4. In fact, do you know what the first two words of verse 4 are? But God. But God. But God in light of all of that, but God being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, listen to what God does. He made us alive together with Christ. And he raised us up with him. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in christ jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace to in kindness towards us in christ jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith and this not of your own doing you cannot earn it i don't care how good of a person you are it's saying you can't earn it it is the gift of god and god has a gift and it's a matter of me taking that gift And if you have received Christ as your Savior, know this. He gives all of that stuff. All of it. Piled on. God is a giver. Maybe today, you being here, the thing that you need to hear most today is to be reminded that God gives. And hear me, I'm not talking about Santa Claus giver. Come on. Let's get out of childhood. Let's get into manhood and womanhood. God is not a pampering God. God is not there to do my bidding. God is not there to be my genie that does for me whatever I want him to do. And when he doesn't do what I think he should do, well, God's not a giver. That's not what we're talking about here. God is not a pampering God. God is a perfecting God. It's way better than that. God gives everything we need so that we would come to see him more that we would bring him greater glory. He's a perfecting God, not a pampering God. And yet in Ephesians 2, it says he gives us new life. He raises us up. He seats us with him. God gives. God gives. And we see that in Joshua chapter one, how encouraging. Joshua, I have given you. Well, the second foundational undergirding promise in this passage in verses two through nine is this. I will be with you. I will be with you. Now, the fact is, is you can be a giver and remain very distant. And God here is saying, listen, Joshua, my friend, I am a giver. And by the way, I am with you. Given you, with you. I mean, if I'm Joshua, that's what I want to hear. Look at verse 5, towards the end of verse 5. God says, and underline this, I will be with you. This should be like the fourth thing you've underlined. The the three prior and then this one. And then the last one to underline is at verse nine. The Lord your God is with you. Underline that. Again, imagine you're Joshua. You're the new leader, two million plus people. God shows up. Oh, by the way, God shows up. That means with. And God says, I am with you and don't be frightened. (laughs) How cool. Hey, redeemed follower of Christ, I want to remind you, listen again to this. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 and following, the Lord says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, no, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors, uh, warriors through him who loved us. God saying he's with you, he's with, he never separates, he's always with. And maybe today with things going on in your life, that's what you need to hear today. By the way, on these two promises, I, I want to note this as lovingly as I can. This also implies within this reality that uh, these are the promises that are given to the person that knows Christ as their Savior. And if you don't know Christ as your savior, if there's not been a time where you've driven the stake in the ground and entered into a covenant relationship with the Lord, you're missing out. Following Christ is not a bummer. I mean, look at this. Given you, with you. This is awesome. This is awesome stuff that's going on. Well, two promises stated by God to Joshua. Given you, with you. But God doesn't leave it here in promises land. Uh, He doesn't leave it here in promises land. He also gives two calls to action. How many calls to action? Two. Two. And here's what I want for us to do. I want us to circle or box these in. Two promises uh, that fit two calls. Here we go. Call to action number one. Look at verse two. It says uh, to Joshua, arise, go over. Arise, go over. Circle that. Put a box so it kind of stands up and out. The other ones are undergirding. This one stands up and out. Now, this can be kind of red flat. Hey, arise and go over. Or uh, some of you have the New International Version. It says, uh, hey, Joshua, get ready to cross. Uh, But here's the deal. Uh, This contains two imperative Hebrew verbs. Imperatives are exclamation verbs. They're like, giddy up, okay? They're like exclamation, exclamation points. They're action verbs. They're a command. He's not just saying, hey, you know, um, if you feel like it, get up and go over. Do whatever you want. I don't really care. That's not what's going on. Uh, God is like, listen, Joshua, get up and go over. Now, please understand this. God is not mad about it. God is not in this going like, come on, dude put the cheesy fries down, and let's go. That's not what's happening. You got to put it this way. This is a command of passion, of interest, and of excitement. And the reality is is that it's been some 700 years since God told Abraham, I'm going to build a people and give you a place. 700 years. It's been some 40 years that they've now come out of Egypt and they're ready to go into the promised land. And it's kind of like the heavenlies are sitting there on the edge of their seat on their tiptoes and they're like, now's the time. Now's the time. Now's the time. Now's the time, man. Now's the time. Joshua, get up and go over. That's really what's going on here. This is an excitement and anticipation, a cranked up about it, but understand this, the underlying promise behind the giddy up, get up and get over is the I have given to you. That's the underlying reality. Joshua I have given to you, my friend, get up, go over. This is awesome. I've already determined that this is your place and you just need to possess it. There is no closing yet to come. It's already been done. Uh, By the way, may I remind us that this place is not a Disney vacation place. Instead, it's more of a central distribution center. As we talked about a couple of weeks ago, this place is to be a sending place to the world. That's what this place is about. It's not beachfront hotel. It's a sending-based place. Call to action number one. Get up and go over, my friend. Now's the time. Call to action number two. Look at verse six. Be strong and courageous. Guys, we love this. Be strong and courageous. Circle it. Put a box around it. Make sure it pulls off the page. Oh, by the way... Um, I don't have it circled or or boxed in mind, but it also says the same thing in verse seven and nine. Be strong and courageous. By the way, do you think God's trying to point something out? Be strong and courageous. You know, it sounds so, let's get psyched up. It sounds so kind of like, who's your locker room chant? if you've seen you know what i'm talking about there's an aspect of this where we read this you know be strong and courageous and we kind of take it in this realm of uh, of self-studliness or uh, you know let's be superheroes or dream it and you can be it that's not what this is talking about be strong and courageous is undergirded by god's promise that he is with the only reason That they or we can be strong and courageous in life and to do what God has called us to do. The only reason that we can be strong and courageous, because frankly, we are Ephesians 1 through 3 wimps on our own. But the only reason that we can be strong and courageous is because God is God and he's with us. I mean, that's the cool thing about it. He's with. And the be strong and courageous thing, it's not so much a call to be vigorous and in, in waging war or, or to, uh, to, also I want to make sure it's this, it's not about acting without emotion. It's primarily primarily an injunction to trust. It's an injunction to trust and depend upon the Lord. Then we can do that because he is with. He is with you. He is with us. And they could be strong and un unshakably courageous because God is who God is. Not because they're awesome. Please, we need in our minds, these people were just a bunch of nomads. Wanderers for 40 years. They have nothing to go. Look how awesome we are except for one thing. A big God with a tabernacle and an ark. Come on, take us on, because we got a big dad. (laughs) That's what's going on here, and that's the call. I just remind you, Exodus 33, God tells Moses, my presence will go with you. How cool is that again? But Moses responds, and this is the part I love in verse 15 of Exodus 33. He says, listen, God, if your presence will not go with, with us, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that we have found favor in your your sight? Is it not in your going with us that we are distinct? I think at times we need to periodically ask ourselves the question as a church, what makes us so distinct from other clubs on the west side of Indianapolis? There better be one thing. There is a God that is with those people. That's the only thing. Uh, Matthew 28, 19 to 20, the Great Commission. Emmanuel says to them, oh yeah, Emmanuel is God with us. Emmanuel says to them, hey, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's the great commission. That's what we are doing. That's what a place is to be a sending base place for. That, but we forget the next sentence oftentimes. And that's where Jesus says to them, and behold, whenever that term is said in the scriptures, and behold, it means, listen up, listen up. In light of the great commission, behold, know this, I am with you always to the end of the age. God with is always tied to an action. Listen, the only reason that you and I can be a part of this and doing what the Lord has for you and for us is because God is with us. It is a faith call. We do because God is with. Doug, I get the concept uh, to be strong and courageous, but what does that look like? I'm so glad you asked. It looks like this. In the book, doing the book we're going to see this out of the text. We actually are going to read it. But you're going to see this here in the text. What does strong, courageous look like? It means in the book, doing the book. You know, people oftentimes, understandably so, wrestle through the question and the thought of, oh, I want to do God's will. What is God's will for my life? Uh, Seriously, friends, I'm a simple guy. Okay, uh, just make it simple for me. And it's this, God's will for your and my life is in the book, doing the book. It's in the book, doing the book. And again, we're going to see that come out of the passage here in a moment. Yeah, but Doug, uh, what job do I take? No, no, just be an in the book, doing the book person. That's the circumstantial stuff. How you go about making that decision is really what God cares about. Get a job in Michigan or Florida or Avon or whatever. Guess what? Ultimately, it doesn't matter. Living with the Lord is not about living on a specific spot. God's will for you is that whatever job you have, wherever that job would be, is that you be, as I'm terming here, in the book, doing the book person. That's his will for you. But Doug, I'm trying to buy a car buy by the you go or the Ferrari listen in the book do the book in the book talks about how you have an approach to finances how you take a look at life what's in the heart of what's going on we are such a thing driven culture and I'm saying here let's come back because God tells Joshua listen Joshua you want to be my kind of man being strong courageous looks like this in the book doing the book my friend and by the way he only had five of the books we had the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament at that time. We are blessed. We got the whole thing. And that's where also just add 2 Peter chapter 1. God says that he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He doesn't say, I've given you most of what you need. He doesn't say, I've given you part of what you need. He said he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And the text goes on to say, where is that at? The text goes on in 2 Peter chapter 1 to say, everything that we need for life and godliness is this right here. And I'm serious, I'm not kidding about this. We have dumbed down the Bible. It's much bigger and much better than you and I can ever imagine. We need to be in it doing it. So here's the deal. I think it might be a good time for us to read the passage. You ready? (laughs) It's like, Helmer, you are just like, get there. Here we go. Let's get there. After the death of Moses the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. Moses, you know my servant is dead. Now therefore, arise and go over. Get up. Get up, Joshua. Now's the time. Get up and go over. Get up and go over to this, go over the Jordan. You and all this people, Into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, Joshua, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river to the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. You know, God shows up and he's about to speak to you. And if you're back in that setting and it's like, oh no, this is going to go good or this is going to go bad. And right now this is looking good. Uh, by the way, in that statement, it says uh, the land of the Hittites. It's really an interesting statement, just a quick kind of side note with that. Because by the time that the chapter one is happening, the Hittites are basically off the map. Their conquering kingdom world powerness is kind of on the outs. And so it's interesting. A lot of commentators talk about why, why would God put that in there? Uh, part of it I, I, as reading through in a lot of the talk is that, that it's like God puts in the Hittites because that's been a, a, a people of huge conquering power in the past. And so God essentially saying, listen, listen, you're going to go over to this land. You're not going to be like, you know, just Indianapolis. You are going to be like a conquering nation, my friend. This is awesome. I have given this to you, my friend. Get up, go over, because I am going to use you bigger than you could ever imagine. That's what's happening here. Let's pick up verse 5. We've just had the promise of I have given to you with the call to get up and go over. Now we have the promise of I will be with you and to be strong and courageous. Verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. (laughs) He knew what it was like for the Lord to be with Moses. And you're going to be that with me? Oh, thank you, Lord. So I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be very strong and courageous. Being careful to do according to all the law that, oh, this is what we were talking about in the book, doing the book. Only be strong and very courageous. Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. You got that? Be strong and courageous. What does that look like? In the book. Not to the left of it. Not to the right of it. There's a sweet spot. And it's right in the book. That's where I want you. Head in the book that you may have good success wherever you go. Talk about that in just a moment because we have so Americanized it. Verse eight, this book of the law, still talking about the scriptures, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it. How often? Day Day and night, that means a lot. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. It's still on the book. Don't depart from your mouth, meditate it. Uh, That word, we usually have an Eastern mysticism kind of a view of meditation over in the corner with our legs folded and just kind of like, or something like that. That's not what's going on here. This actually talks about muttering audibly. This is about someone back in the day. They used to read the scriptures aloud all the time. That's a cool idea. But even personally. And what they would do is with, their, with the Torah open, with the, the Pentateuch open, they would read it and they would be in the kind of a way to where their eyes are focused, their head is focused, and they're talking it. Like so intense towards like, what's going on here? What, like, well, how does that apply? What does that mean? Where does that go? Where, where, how do I handle this? What, 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 what do I do? And you're just thinking it in that way. It's not these daily crouton kind of approach to scripture. Read it, done. On with my life. No, no, this is like I'm in it and I'm just, I'm eating it up. It's Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. that talks about the, the book of the law shall be on your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night. You should talk about it when you sit at home, when you rise up, when you get up, when you walk along the road, when you go to work, when you're in the car. That's in the Hebrew somewhere. When you're in the car, when you're on your computer, when you're going place, when you're home, when you're eating dinner, you should just be talking it, talking it, talking it, talking it all the time. We should be walking life like this. What does God's word have to say about this situation right now? Uh, Right now, I'm not doing so hot with my spouse. What does God have to say about that? Right now, I'm not doing so hot with my kids. Uh, Wait, what does scripture have to say about that? What about with them? What about for me? Hey, right now, uh, I'm just loving my work. Fantastic. What does scripture have to say about that? All the time, that's what this is talking about, friends. It's not a Sunday thing only. The book is your manual for life. It's been said, if you don't talk to your Bible, don't expect it to talk to you. If you don't talk to your Bible, don't expect it to talk back. It's that idea of a minute and I'm pulling it and I'm working it and I'm thinking it, I'm meditating on it. That's what meditating is. Uh, Look at the end of verse eight. Being that, it then says, for then, in other words, here's the result of that. Then you will make your way prosperous, And then you will have good success. You see, if you do it that way, then we are guaranteed that you're going to have a big house and a lot of money and great relationships and the Ferrari and perfect health and perfect happiness. Friends, that's not what that is saying. And if you hear that verse used in that way, they are understanding prosperous and successful as an American, not as a Hebrew. Uh, the words actually mean this, prosperous. It means thriving because I'm on the right path. See, we we just we can't even get out of our mind the idea that prosperous is something other than money and stuff. But here, prosperous is, I'm, I'm, I'm right in the sweet spot. I'm walking life on the right path. It doesn't matter how much I own. It doesn't matter if I'm crawling with cancer all over my body. The fact of the matter is I'm right there in the prosperous place with the Lord. Sweet spot. That's what the text is talking about by prosperous. Oriented to the Lord. Successful. In fact, some of, some of you may have a, from an earlier verse noted down at the Bible about success. It means being wise. Again, we think success, we drive by their house. They must be successful. Personally, been rich, not been rich. And this is not what it's talking about. This is in the realm of the fact to where it's saying this is a wise person. I got to tell you, as a, uh, as a parent... There were times where it's like, oh, you know, I want my kids happy. And uh, and then I realized, oh, that's silly. I do, you understand. But there's more to life than that. And then it's like, I want my kids to get a great job. And it's like, oh, that's, I just want my kids in a sweet spot with the Lord. And I so bad want my kids to be there and to be wise. And I don't care if they're dirt poor. I want them there. And that's what the Lord wants for his children. I want you there. The job is not that big a deal to me. The job is the surrounding circumstance of living out my will as a person in the book, doing the book. That's what prosperous and successful means here in the scripture. If you desire success and prosperity, you are desiring to be in the sweet spot with the Lord. Please don't make it like, if I do this, God's going to cash me. Because that's not what this is talking about. That's God's deal. And I want for us to understand the way this text talks about it. There are no, uh, no, no shortcuts and no substitutes. Meditate in the book all the time. And that also means That if you're not a verse 8-like person, I'm not talking about if you're saved or not. I'm just talking about whether you are in the book or not in the book. But if you're not a verse 8-like person that's in the book, know this, you are not in the sweet spot, no matter what you may think. You are not in the sweet spot, and you will not be living life with wisdom. It's time to come back. It's time to come back to the sweet spot. Verse 9 and let's finish. Joshua, have I not commanded you in case you forgot? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For I, the Lord, your God is with you wherever you go. He stepped into Moses' shoes. And God shows up. Two promises with two calls. Given you, with you. Get up and go. And be strong and courageous. Hey, as we uh, wrap up, I just want to take a quiet moment here. If you want to bow your head, whatever. I just want to ask you kind of two questions. Question number one. Could you possibly be stuck in promises land? And listen, I want for you to know that maybe for you today, the thing that you needed to hear from the Lord is his promises. Maybe the thing in light of what's going on in your life, you needed to hear today from the Lord, this reassuring, not only from Joshua, but from Ephesians, from Romans, that God is a giving God. He's not a stingy God that's like, come on, dude. Listen, God is a giving God. He desires to pour it out on his children. And God is a with God. Maybe for today, that's what you needed to hear. But but I also want to say this, know this. God's people have a tendency to want to stay in promises land and not move into action land. I just want to come to Christ because he's going to give me salvation and forgiveness. and, And then it's like, that's it. No, no, no. You are missing the picture. That's stuck in promises land. Warriors don't sit Warriors go to action. And in all seriousness, as you look back at your life in the last month, in the last months, in the last year, if warrior does not fit you, if action, if getting after the call that God has to be the kind of people to get up and to go out for him, to be living it for him, listen, you're not in the right place. You are living in promises land. And the promises are the foundation for the actions that God has for you and I. And I want to love you enough to give you a kick in the pants, if that's the case. It's time to get up. Cling to the promises, but get on to the doing. Secondly, I just want to ask the question, are you in the book? Are you in the book in a verse 8 kind of a way where you're muttering it, thinking it through, working it through, day and nighting it? You're asking yourself, what does it mean? How does it impact my life today? What am I to do out of the scriptures? And in the book means that you're doing the book. And if you're not talking to your Bible friends, don't expect it to talk to you. The sweet spot is in the book. Wisdom is in the book. There is no strong and courageous outside the book because you're on your own. Warriors have no excuses. And warriors take no shortcuts. Lord God you speak and i thank you for that reality you proclaim and you do give instruction and you give encouragement you're not a harsh god you are a righteous god you are the god you are you are grace you are truth and yet the fact of the matter also is you are holy Lord i i would ask that we would be the kind of people that cling to the promises that you give. They're not promises like I could give or any other person could give. They're promises from you. And oh Lord, may we cling to them. Lord, may we be in your word. Doers of the word and not hearers only. And Lord, I pray for anyone in this room today. They may not know you as their Savior. God, I pray you would be encouraging them and challenging them right now to understand that these promises are not theirs if they are not your child. And that should just draw us to you. Oh God, may we see you for who you are. You show up, and you speak, and you are glorious. And in Christ's name we pray.